It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the great outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio, the outdoor voice of Chicago and America. Thank you for joining me this morning, and I hope you all had a great 4th of July, what turned out to be almost a week for a lot of people. So maybe you're still celebrating what has turned into a week-long 4th of July, which is great for the great outdoors because lots of people are out biking, hiking, boating, fishing, doing all kinds of things across America on what has become sort of almost a 10-day holiday for many. Um, I wanted to start off this morning with... uh, something I mentioned briefly previously, and that is that technology has made it very easy to sign up for an evening or a weekend or whatever at a state park, a national forest, a campsite. But technology also has created the problem of absenteeism. And that is that you go online and you make your reservations to go to Star Rock State Park or Yellowstone or wherever it might be. And then you decide, well, I better make a couple other reservations at the same time because I don't know what my plans exactly are going to be. So there is a problem across America of individuals booking campsites uh, at our national forests, our national parks, our state parks, but not showing up because they have multiple booked. So this has been an acute problem in the West, particularly in California, but also in Illinois and Midwest, that Uh, we're going to have to deal with, and one of the ways they're being dealt with is pretty strict penalties are coming if you don't show up for a campsite you booked, which actually I think is only fair, because in the old days, before we had all this computer technology and online booking, you made a reservation, you didn't make three or four, and you showed up for the campsite you said you would show up for, Uh, and um, or it was first come, first served. Now, with the ability to do all this online, we've made it so easy to make reservations, but also very difficult to cancel them. So if you're six hours out from, saying, uh, going to a state park in in Minnesota or Michigan, and you decide, oh, I'm going to go to a different campsite tonight, you go online, you cancel your reservation, but the reservation system isn't set up so that the campsite that you were going to knows that, in fact, you've canceled. So somebody waiting in line uh, to get there doesn't know that that you've canceled and the spot has opened up. I'm sure technology will cure this, but in the meantime, it is, frankly, a real headache for uh, for so many um, individuals trying to get campsites. And this is part of the reason that the statistics, the numbers of people in the outdoors are, are somewhat inflated because they're taking reservation numbers at state parks and national forests and or national parks, and those reservation numbers show that we're 100% sold out, when in reality uh, there are lots of empty spots because of double booking. Uh, speaking of, I'm going to make a segue here that is totally a, a non sequitur to what I was just talking about. The headline was Big Ethanol versus, versus Electric Vehicles. And the reason I'm going to mention it this summer right now is because so many of us are in our cars or campers or RVs or boats driving around and going to places in the outdoors. Well, there's a very interesting situation developing. And the headline was Big Ethanol versus Electric Vehicles. 
But the first paragraph starts off, one of the more entertaining spectacles in Washington these days is the industry industrial policy competition between the climate advocates and the ethanol lobbies. So I've read quite a bit about this and talked to a number of people in the last few weeks, and it occurs to me, and, uh, and we have a huge agricultural listening audience here on WGN Radio, uh, it occurs to me that we could be entering a period where the ethanol boom that we've had for the past several decades is going to come to a crashing end. And it's going to come to an end because of our move to uh, electric vehicles. Electric vehicles don't need corn ethanol to run. Yet we have built a huge industry around ethanol, corn being turned into ethanol to be used for gasoline and fuel, and depending on the estimates, somewhere between a third and 40% of all corn grown in America today is used one way and another or another for alternative uses, most notably fuel. So going back to the days of Congressman Paul Findlay in the late 1970s when he created something known as Gasohol, working with ADM, Archer Daniel Midlands, they had Gasohol Awareness Day on Capitol Hill, and the only reason I'm aware of that is I worked as an intern for Congressman Paul Findlay in 1978, and I helped write the uh, press releases that made Gasohol Awareness Day possible. And the irony of that was you could put, come up to the United States Capitol and, and and fill up your car or put some gallons of Gasohol in your car. Well, at that point in time, engines were not very well fitted for this term Gasohol, and lots of congressmen came up put gas a haul in their vehicle, drove about four blocks, and their vehicles clinked out and stopped because the gas a haul was like glue in the engines of cars. We didn't know that at the time. So gas a haul got off to a pretty tough start. It became ethanol, and it brings us to today where ethanol is a huge driver in our energy business. But it is in a head-on collision with the demand to go to uh, totally sustainable fuels, and that being um, electric vehicles. So we are looking at a period right now where the demand for ethanol could be beginning to be reduced. And if ethanol demand is reduced, then we're going to see less corn planted and we're going to see uh, perhaps a constriction in the agricultural belt of America as, as electric vehicles take hold. And of course, it's not a level playing field because today under the new Government largesse, the amount of money being spent on electric vehicles for subsidies is far bigger than the amount of money being spent for ethanol subsidies. However, if you take it over time, the amount of money spent for ethanol subsidies certainly has been very, very large. So here's the debate we have. And the EPA, as it often does, finds itself in the middle of this. And it finalized its climate rules for the next three years and its standards for fuel and the standards for how much ethanol and other so-called biofuels must be blended into the nation's fuel supply. Refiners have to buy the credits if they don't meet the quotas, et cetera, which raises the price of gasoline. So uh, corn farmers and the ethanol production in Iowa politicians are irate because the EPA didn't increase the mandate volume for conventional renewable fuels. According to Senator Grassley, and I quote, the rule is totally inconsistent with this administration's climate agenda because everybody knows that both biodiesel and ethanol is environmentally positive. 
end of quote from Senator Chuck Grassley. Of course, not everyone knows that ethanol and biodiesel are environmentally positive. In fact, it can be stated and has been stated that the increase in demand for ethanol through the requirements for blending it into fuel have been absolutely destructive on a massive scale to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of acres of grasslands across the prairies that have been converted from native grass to corn ground to grow corn for ethanol. So we have seen a vast increase in the number of acres being placed into corn production, which comes at the expense of grassland acres, which means that, of course, we're adding to the amount of soil erosion and nitrogen going into our rivers and flooding and all these things that we're so well aware of. So Senator Grassley is is actually not right that everyone knows that biodiesel and ethanol is environmentally positive. However, on the other hand, we also know that it's not 100% winner to go to renewable energies, particularly wind farms and solar, as guess what? These lands take up agricultural and other lands as well. So there is going to be a, a, a colliding of these two behemoths in the near future, and it's begun because the EPA has not increased the amount of ethanol that needs to be blended because the EPA says, well, we're going to have lower gasoline consumption in the coming years as we switch to renewable and electric vehicles, and therefore we're not going to need as much ethanol, so we're not going to increase the bio, we're not going to increase the blending demands. This has set off the alarm bell across the corn belt because if ethanol demand isn't going to go up, we're not going to have the demand for corn. That's going to mean less acres, lower prices, and a change from the trajectory we've been on for the past 30 years. So the EPA has sort of fired a shot saying end of, end of increasing ethanol demands if we're going to have more electric vehicles. On the other hand, the farm lobby is saying, but we have created this industry of biodiesel and biofuels. So the end story for today is that there's going to be a collision, and one of the environmental groups says that this this new ruling by the EPA is an unfortunate example of policy setting aside environmental interests. We know that more ethanol means more farmland is going to be used for corn and less grasslands are going to exist. However, we also know that more wind farms and solar farms are going to be meaning more farmland that's currently in production is going to be taken out of production. An interesting discussion, much more to talk about in the coming years, but perhaps the demand for ethanol has peaked. This is Charlie Potter and the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And now a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers, and I'll be back with much more in just a minute. Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors, but nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado's designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2 owns the off-road. 
You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. It's Charlie Potter and the great outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. And after that discussion about has ethanol peaked, which we'll get into demand peak, which we'll get into much more, I think, in the in the coming months and years, it, it, it will be a central conversation for agriculture and conservation across America. But it certainly appears the EPA has said, uh, maybe we don't need to blend more ethanol at this time. I'm going to shift to something entirely different. And that is kind of a bizarre topic, and that is should insects be covered under uh, environmental laws? And the question is, are butterflies wildlife? We think of butterflies as being absolutely beautiful and we want to protect them, but they are an insect. And insects uh, in America are swatted, stomped, sprayed, and We try to get rid of them at every opportunity. However, as we know, they are also the pollinators that make life on Earth possible. Without pollination, we we are not here. So we know that also butterflies have been in absolute population collapse, not not decline, collapse. And that's because so many of the places where pollinators live have been eliminated. Particularly, we've eliminated milkweed, which is one of the absolutely most important places for butterflies to live and therefore to be able to pollinate from. So one of the discussions going on is how are we going to address bees and butterflies and beetles separately from mosquitoes? Because bees, butterflies, and beetles, well, they pollinate our plants, they enrich our soils, and they provide the critical protein source for species up the food chain. The United States Forest Service puts it pretty simply. Without pollinators, the human race and all of life's, all of Earth's terrestrial ecosystems would not survive. These are the little things that run the world. They are correct. And the little things that run the world are in massive decline. We need bees, we need butterflies to pollinate our plants, we need beetles. And yet, they are being eliminated because their habitats are being eliminated or they are being eliminated because of the pesticides we use not only to grow crops for our food but also the the pest the insecticides we use around our houses to keep mosquitoes away from us all of this has taken a toll i don't have the answer here this morning on the great outdoor show but i do have the information that says from a number of sources, we, we are headed in the wrong direction and headed there fast. Butterflies are one of the most beautiful species you can imagine. We've all, it's hard not to love a butterfly. And at the same time, it's very hard to like a mosquito that's landing on your arm and is about to suck the blood out of you or give you, give you some disease. So we, um, we're at a conundrum. What are we going to do? How are we going to protect our butterflies, our bees, and our beetles, while at the same time not having insects, which are, a, I guess, a true pest to humans and, and to, to crops, 
continue to be so destructive. So that's the story. There's not really much of a solution, except that states are coming together to try to figure out how they can come up with ways to have pesticides and insecticides developed that enable bees and beetles and particularly butterflies to survive, while at the same time doing the job that's needed to be done with insecticides so that we can grow crops and you can sit outside in your backyard. In just a moment left, uh, the headline was, California salmon stocks are crashing. A fishing ban looks certain. Um, We've talked a lot over the years about the decline in Pacific salmon, but in California, uh, where there are very few salmon left, the only commercial commercial fishery still permitted is for Chinook or King salmon, which uh, come into the Sacramento and King rivers and of, of the Central Valley of California. It looks like the stocks have now been depleted to such a level that there will be the first ban on commercial fishing since the mid 1990s. Salmon stocks used to be. Uh, over, well, there were hundreds of millions at one point, but we've been accustomed to them being as low as a million. But it appears that this year there are only going to be about 170,000 Chinook salmon returning to the Central Valley of California rivers. That's, da- that's down, uh, well, it's down, all- it's down 90% from just 20 years ago. So there'll be more on this, but California, as we know this year, is drowning in water, water everywhere. Tulare Lake has come back from from the dead. Uh, The largest freshwater lake west of the Mississippi was Tulare Lake, drained well over 150 years ago in California. It's coming back to life. So there's water in these rivers, but for years of drought, there was not sustainable water, substantial water for salmon to survive, and now we're seeing the consequences of this. I'll have much more on this actually next week because I'm going to do a little bit of a story on Tulare Lake, and it, it, it's incredible to, to see what is happening in California, and it goes to show how much we've actually altered our, our natural landscape. So I hope you enjoy the coming week in the great outdoors. Lots to talk about, lots to do. Thanks so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.